This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Glad you came out to worship God. Man, it's powerful to worship God together. Glad you're here. If you're visitors, we're really glad you're with us this morning. We love people who've made messes out of their lives, and God's still in the business to make a miracle for you. If you need a Bible, I, I ask you to raise your hand, and then uh, go with me to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, for you who like to know where we're going, I'm going to be in two passages in Proverbs. Then we'll go to the book of John, chapter 5. You saw we're on the, the lame man today at Bethesda. It's going to be good. going to touch your heart. So as we get ready to go, as you're turning there, Sometimes in life we all get stuck. You know, it just may be a, a rut that we get in. And it's not always to get easy to get out, even spiritually. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And so we're going to let the Word of God teach us today and help all of us to, to maybe get out of ruts, to maybe go forward in some things in our life. So we begin in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 25. The desire or the craving of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Now the New Living says, despite their desires, the slothful and the sluggard, they won't get up and they won't go. And so in reading that... This may identify you, it really identified me because there's times in my life that I can become lazy spiritually. You know, it's, it's one thing to know what to do, it's another thing to do it. How many of you in here know that it's a pretty good thing to pray? We can all sit here and say, you know what, we really ought to pray this week. But how many of us actually do it? And so it's very easy to get stuck in that thought that I can become lazy, but also think about it in this sense. Procrastination is a killer. And that's us oftentimes. Now, turn a page or two to Proverbs 24, verse 16. Just giving you some scripture that might locate you a little bit. Proverbs 24, verse 16. For a righteous man or a godly man may fall or slip seven times and rise again. Now, as human beings, we're capable of falling. We're, we're capable of tripping. But I don't believe the issue is so much when we fall or trip. The issue is, do I get back up? And so in this today, I believe the goal here is if we're spiritually lazy, the Lord's going to help us. But also, if you've tripped, the Spirit of God's going to help you get back up today, okay? So now we go to John chapter 5. John chapter number 5. Uh, like the, the title said, this is the story of the... the the man at Bethesda, as you're turning there, the first week we talked about the Apostle John, then we went to the Samaritan woman. If you were here last week, we talked about Matthew, the tax collector. So each week we take a person in the Bible, and I believe we, we cover our lives somewhere in there with every one of those, but each week I believe something there will be in these scriptures that will pertain to every one of us in this room. So we begin in, in John, John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, scripturally here in John 2, it says it was the feast of Passover. you got to remember when they had these Jewish feasts or these Jewish convocations, 
the multitudes would come. I mean, Jews from all over the place would assemble on Jerusalem for this. So understand, this time there's a lot of people there. Verse 2. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. The word Beth, the B-E-T-H there in the Hebrew, it, it means house. In this situation, the word Bethesda means the house of outpouring or the house of grace or mercy. The word Bethlehem itself means the house of bread. So anytime you see the word Beth in there, it's talking about a house. In this situation, it's the house of grace. Interesting. This is, this is the heartbeat of God. And I believe this ought to be the heartbeat of the church too, the house of grace. Verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, pay close attention right there who was in attendance there. The sick, the lame, the blind, and the paralyzed. What were they doing there? They were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, and he stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Okay, now think about all this that we've read so far here. That we know it's, it's Passover, so there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of people at Bethesda that need to be healed. And they're all waiting for the stirring of this water and this angel's going to show up. But the big thing... This Passover season was that Jesus was there. And anytime Jesus showed up at places, things were going to happen. People were going to get saved. They were going to get set free. They were going to get healed. So this was a great day. And if you'll note, it says, whoever stepped in first, they would be healed. Whoever. So it was whichever one could get in there the first. The only negative about that one of them left very, very happy. The rest of them left very discouraged. So this is what's going on. So now we jump to verse number 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Now 38 years is a long time. Let's just put it in a little bit of perspective here. If you live to be 80, half of this guy's life is spent in this situation. Now to understand this, we, we've got to, to define what the word infirmity means. It means a weakness. This guy had a weakness for 38 years. How many of you have a weakness? Maybe you need to be healed. Maybe you need to be set free. Maybe you're in bondage to something. How many of you have a weakness in... I don't believe it's wrong to admit that. Every one of us have things in our lives at times, but I believe part of it is how we respond to it. Do I have a weakness? And, and I would venture to say, if I went around the auditorium and went to different people and I said, do you have a weakness? Do you have a weakness? Do you have a... You know what the majority of people would say in here? No. I'm pretty good. I got everything together. But if we were to ask your spouse or your children or your friends if you had a weakness, they could probably come up with a full list. And so it's not wrong for us to have an infirmity. The, the issue is, do I keep it? 
And so you get an idea here. This guy's had this for a long time. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. And when Jesus saw that he had been here a long time, it didn't mean he could never be healed from it. Actually, in Matthew 19, it, it says that all things are possible to those who believe. And so Jesus knew he had been in this situation a long time. And so Jesus asked him this interesting question. He said to him, do you want to be made well? Duh. What a question, Jesus. Do you want to be made well? And in this situation, Jesus wasn't being a smart aleck. But what I believe Jesus was trying to do in this situation was he was giving this guy permission to respond to him. And you think about this in our lives. The only way you get born again is you got to respond to him. If we, we polled people and said, do you want to go to heaven? Almost everybody would say, I want to go to heaven. But do I do the things that I need to, go to do to go to heaven? What do I got to do? I got to ask Jesus to come into my heart. He won't force me. And in this situation here, it's like Jesus was saying, listen, buddy, give me permission to heal you. So Jesus asked him this question. Now, look at verse number 7. This guy's answer is incredible. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. So think about this in this light here that Jesus asked the guy. He said, Buddy, you want to be made well? And the guy doesn't reply, Yeah, I'd love to be made well. So our first point today, and all three points today are going to have ease with them, okay? You want to season taking good notes, this will help you. The first one is excuses. This guy was living an excuse. And it's easy for us as human beings to live an excuse. You know, you hear people say all the time, I don't know why God won't heal me. I know God heals other people. But God won't heal me that, you know, my circumstances, you just don't understand. And you have people that have issues in marriage and they'll say, you know, I know God heals marriages, but he won't heal mine. And we're struggling financially. Well, you ever thought about tithing? Oh, yeah, I've done that before, but it doesn't work for me. And so when we make these statements that are, are borderline, nothing more than excuses, we're saying we're an exception to God's word. We're special. We're not that special that the word of God won't work for us. So stay at verse 7 because there's some things in there that we can really learn from. The sick man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man. See, this is where we get in trouble with human beings. Is anytime we don't look to God, we look to man. Understand, man can't heal me. Man can't set me free. Only God can do that. So it begins to show me right here immediately that this guy, his eyes was on other people. And every one of us in this room, we are doing that right now, or we've done that before. And literally what this does here is when he says, I have no man, he's shifting the blame onto somebody else. 
I have no man. Remember what Adam did in the garden? He said, it's that woman you gave me. It's been around a long time. And I believe it's the number one excuse that people in our society give. It's easier to blame other people. But it's also the number one lie the devil tries to get us to believe. Because he knows if he can get us over where we start blaming other people, he's got us. Because our eyes are focused on people instead of God. And so in this sense, that's what he's doing there. But you know what? Nobody cares. To a sense, this is what this guy was doing. Nobody cares about me. Nobody feels sorry for me. But Jesus noticed him in this situation right here. And I got to understand this. Even though people may not understand your issue, what do I do with the Word of God? I'm going to give you a verse today that will really help you with the area of infirmities. Matthew 8, 17 says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, He himself took our infirmities. He himself took our weaknesses. So here's the deal with that. If Jesus took my infirmities and my weaknesses, what am I doing still holding on to them? But in this situation, it was the same thing. That this guy, he started living by a bunch of excuses. So Jesus hears him out. Jesus hears what he says about, I have no one to put me in. Now watch what happens in verse 8. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now note there, Jesus didn't say anything about being healed. He just said, rise, take up your bed and walk. I want to add a little bit here to this, just kind of my view. And if it was me in this situation, I would use the word shut up and get up. But I don't think Jesus would have ever done that, okay? So I believe in essence, this is what Jesus is telling him. Listen, dude, you need to quit talking and get up. Your problem is your mouth. You talk too much. Now, in saying that, I believe it's one of the worst things that we as the body of Christ are doing right now. Do you know, there's, there's 11 commandments. The 11th command says, thou shalt not be hung by thy tongue. That's not really in there, okay? But you get the jest. Matthew 12, 34 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks. So you know what that tells me? If you want to locate yourself, just listen to what you're saying. Is my life filled with excuses? Do I blame everybody else? Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So understand that every time I'm opening my mouth... I'm either speaking life, I'm speaking death, I'm speaking blessing, or I'm speaking cursing. So liken it this way, that all day long when I'm opening my mouth, I'm literally planting seeds everywhere I go. And guess what happens with a seed? They're going to reproduce out of their own kind. So if you're speaking death, that's what's going to happen. And to a degree, this is what this guy was doing. He just kept speaking death, and he kept speaking death. Now, back at the first of this year, I had really started struggling in some areas of my life as far as 
is, is spiritually. Man, my faith was almost non-existent. And my mouth, I was speaking doubt and unbelief. And one day, my wife looked at me and she said, you need to get into faith. And when she said that, I realized what she was saying was, man, I got to get stirred back up on faith. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17 says, faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I got to get in the word and I got to start hearing the word and hearing the word and hearing the word. What happens when I hear the word? I feed my faith and I starve my doubts. The only place in the Bible I can find where it says this is how you get faith is from hearing the word of God. Even when this man heard Jesus say, rise and take up your bed, that was the faith. Jesus said this. So in my own life, I started getting faith. And then one day, the Lord said to me, he said, your mouth, your mouth is destroying things. I was complaining, whining, little whiny baby. And so the Lord said this to me. He said, after everything you say out of your mouth, tag it with this right here. And that's exactly the way I want it to be. So how does that look, Pastor? Well, we're always broke. We never have nothing. And that's just the way I want it to be. My kids never obey me. And that's just the way I want it to be. My wife is so ugly to me. And that's just the way I want it to be. All we ever do is fight. And that's just the way I want it to be. I never get a break in life, and that's just the way I want it to be. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you start tagging that with your your words, you know what's going to happen? You're not only going to hit the break in your life, if you're smart at all, you're going to hit the emergency break. And you're going to say, I'm not going to say that stuff. And so I got to get over and I got to begin to believe that. Some of you like to put tattoos on your body, and I'm not against that. But you want a good one? Put right here on your bicep, James 1.19. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. That's a good one. So we get back to the scriptures. Jesus tells him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And so in this situation here, I believe he was telling him, I give you permission. I give you permission. But you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to pick up your bed and you're going to have to be the one that walks. So we read verse 9, John 5, verse 9. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. Now, I want to stop right there because you see, Jesus said, pick up your bed and walk. And he could have looked back at Jesus and said, duh, I hadn't walked for 38 years, genius. But in this situation, not only did he have to believe Jesus, we get to our second E. The first one was excuses. The second one was effort. The effort I'm talking about is I must be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. I must act on the word of God. So not only did he have to believe what Jesus said, but he had to get over and actually obey it and do it. Not always easy. But when I read this in verse 9, immediately the man was made well. The only difference that I can find in his life was Jesus and Jesus' word. So you know what it tells me? This man chose to act on Jesus and act on the word. 
And when I act on what Jesus said, I act on the word, there's going to be results in my life. There's going to be a change. But I'm going to have to make the effort to do that. Now, many of you will remember this passage in Matthew 14. That one night Jesus comes walking on the water. And it it, it freaks the disciples out. It shocks them. It scares them. It freaks us out too. I'm going to tell you that right now. And you see some dude strolling up on the water. And, and, and Peter looks at him and said, Lord Jesus, if, if that's you, bid me or command me to walk on the water. And if you remember the story, you know what Jesus' answer was? Come. That's all he said. He said, come. So what Jesus does with Peter's request is Jesus throws the ball back onto him. And Jesus gave him permission and said, come. But do you have the faith to do that? And so when I read this passage, there were two things in there. Number one, Peter could have made excuses and said, Now wait a minute, Mr. Jesus. That water's deep. And those waves are big. And I don't have a life jacket. I don't even have floaties. I don't have a towel. But see, not only that, then he had to make the effort to obey what he said, and he had to get out of the boat. You know, there's too many Christians still sitting in the boat. I would rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat setter. What did he say, Martha? I would at least rather get out of the boat and try to walk on the water. You know, the ones that sit in the boats, they're the critics. There's the ones that just, oh, that'll never happen. Pete, you can't walk on the water. You know, people don't walk on the water, but Jesus said I could. So here we get to the second one I said was effort. So now we go to verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Now let's pretend we were there that day. And if we had someone who we knew, we had seen them wheeled in here for 38 years on a wheelchair. And they got set free. What would your response be? I'll tell you what my response would be. I would be doing cartwheels. I can do a cartwheel. It's ugly, but I can do a cartwheel. I mean, I would be like, yes. But the religious would say, oh, no, we don't do that on the Sabbath. So you know what this showed me right here? They were more concerned about their traditions than they were about people. As fact as this is, what they were talking about on the Sabbath was so wrong. Number one, it wasn't wrong for them to heal on the Sabbath. And number two, it wasn't wrong for them to pick up a mat on the Sabbath. What was wrong was for them to go to work on the Sabbath. So I don't believe... Healing someone on the Sabbath was wrong. And picking up a mat, that's wrong. How many of them took their water jug with them that day? How many of them brushed their teeth that day? I hope all of them. So what I'm saying is they were all picking up stuff. And so I don't want to be bound by religious traditions. Now we're going to get into the third one. Keep reading here with me. Read verse 11. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Now, he wasn't blaming Jesus. He was just saying, listen, this guy said, take up your bed and walk. And I just obeyed him. But in reading that right there, the third one 
excuses, effort, and its experiences. Better known as religious traditions. And so for 38 years, this guy had been on religious traditions. He had looked to man and now Jesus shows up. And so in this area right here, are you more committed to your religious traditions? Or are you more committed to Jesus? Am I more committed to my religious traditions? Or am I more committed to the Bible? Well, I'm Baptist. What's that mean? Well, I'm Catholic. I'm Assembly of God. I'm Lutheran. I'm Pentecostal, whatever that is. I'm charismatic. So when we say those things, we're actually saying there are certain things that I believe or I don't believe. And if it's biblical, that's fine. But so many other things end up happening like these gods. Now, I want the Bible. I want the Word of God. My brother was just in Egypt for 16 days. He said, there's revival in Egypt. Just masses. But listen, it's the 18 to 25-year-olds. And he said, you know what we're finding with them? They're saying, don't give me religion. Give me the Word of God. Show me the Word of God. And he said, you show them the Word of God. And he said, they just jump on it. So as I looked at this, This guy had to get past his religious experiences. We don't do that on the Sabbath. But yet he chose the words of Jesus over and above that. Do you hang on to religious traditions? Well, you know, I don't raise my hands in church. Because that's a Pentecostal thing. No, it's not. It's a God thing. Psalm 63 is a reference for you, okay? Lift up holy hands. Well, I don't believe in all them guitars you have up there today. That's a charismatic thing. No. That's a God thing. Psalms 150 says, Praise me with the string instruments. And let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Well, I don't like to clap in church because that's a charismatic thing. No. That's a Psalm 47 thing. The Lord said, Clap unto the Lord and shout unto the Lord with praise. So once again, I I try to put my religious experience or traditions above the things of God. And that binds us up. That puts us in bondage. Are you sick? Yeah. Can I lay hands on you? No, no, no. That's weird. That's crazy. No. That's a God thing. That's Mark 16. See, once again, I, I can't put all these religious traditions above the things of God. Keep reading with me here. Verse 12, then they ask him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed, he did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And so what Jesus did, he he spoke his desire. He told the dude, you want to be made well? Okay, pick up your bed and walk. And then Jesus is like, it's up to you now. And and if you think about that in, in Matthew 8, 13, There was the centurion, and Jesus said to him, As you have believed, so let it be done unto you. Now think about that. As you have believed. You know, if you study the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5, she had an infirmity for 12 years. She gets healed. 
And then in Mark 5, 34, Jesus said to that woman, he said, Daughter, thy faith has made you well. And so guess what? When Jesus says stuff to me and you, me and you have the opportunity, do I believe it or do I reject it? That's what I love about the Word of God. It doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. So we keep reading. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. It's a great thought right there, isn't it? This dude is at Bethesda, and he gets healed. And he's so elated that he gets healed. You know what he does? He goes to church. He said, man, i got to testify. So he goes to the temple. And Jesus said to him, see, you have been made well. You're healed, buddy. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The Amplified says, stop sinning, lest a worse state come upon you. Now, you know, this, this is my own preference here. I don't believe Jesus was saying all sickness is a result of sin, okay? I don't believe that. But something had happened in this guy's life. And I believe here the Lord was saying to him, Listen, buddy, don't go back to what you used to be doing. Don't go back to that weakness. Don't go back to that infirmity or things are going to get worse than they used to be. Now, if you look in your Bible, right there before the word sin in verse 14, there should be a little letter. That's called a cross-reference. That cross-reference there takes us to Matthew chapter 12. I want you to go to Matthew 12, okay? You really need to see this. Hold your place in John 5. We're going to come back. But go to Matthew 12. Now, in saying that, when Jesus said to him, don't sin no more, buddy. Why did Jesus say so much of that? Well, in Ephesians 4.27, it says, don't give place to the devil. When I see the word place there, it's almost like the Lord was saying, don't open the door to the devil. Don't open those things up, okay? Keep reading here. Matthew 12, verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man. What's an unclean spirit? It's a devil or a demon, okay? And it says when an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Now just in that sentence alone, it tells me right there that demons like to possess or occupy human beings. This happens. This, this wasn't just in Jesus' day that that happened. It still happens, okay? Keep reading. And he, the, the, the demon, goes through dry places seeking rest and he finds none. Then the demon says, I will return to my house which I came from. Now that's interesting to me. Because you know what he likens right there? He likens the possession or occupying a human being as his home. This demon saying, that home, that man is my home. I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put into order. So you know what he's talking about there? This person gets set free. This person gives their life to Jesus. His life's put into order. And he's a new creation. He is a 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 human being. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. So this is what he's talking about. 
Verse 45. Then he, the demon, goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and they dwell or they live there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now this is why Jesus was warning this guy. This was why it was such a strong warning. He said, don't go back to your former bondages. You know what that would look like in my own life? I was a drunk. I had huge issues with alcohol. Huge. Starting at the age of 12. And I will say this. I had good parents. It wasn't my parents. It was my choices. But I got set free from that stuff. I'm telling you, Jesus saved me. He washed me. He cleansed me. And I, I was a mess. I should have been on the, the show The Ultimate Loser. Man, I'm telling you guys, it was bad. But Jesus set me free from alcohol. So for me to return to that bondage that he had set me free, you know what is if he's telling me in Matthew 12, you're just literally inviting a worse state to be upon you. So you know what he's saying? You don't want to go back there. I don't. So in this warning right there, the key is not only to give my heart to Jesus, but I got to stay full of the things of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, I got to get into my Bible and I got to read my Bible. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to learn to pray. But when my life is not filled, when it's unfilled, I become very complacent. And when I become complacent, I become a target. And the devil will come after you. Verse 15. The man departed. And he told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. And I don't believe he was tattletelling. Saying it was Jesus. I believe he was saying, Jesus is the healer. He's the healer and it's just as we sang. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'll end in verse 16. Now watch this. For this reason, what reason? Jesus healed on the Sabbath. He had a bad habit of, of healing on the Sabbath. <laughs> and the Jews persecuted Jesus and they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now this is literally amazing to me how messed up religious folk are. I don't want to get back over on that. But again, I don't want to be carried through this life through religious tradition. I want the Word of God. I want the truth. I want the Bible. I want to do what Jesus said to do. And so when it all comes down to this, you got an infirmity? You got a weakness in your life? Do you know the worst thing we can do as humans is, is try to camouflage it and act like we don't? That's why I don't have a problem telling you with all my past, all the junk. I mean, my life was cluttered. But today, are you living in some excuses? Do you need to, to, to have an effort where you say, you know what? I want to be a doer of the word. I want to obey the things of God. And do you want to get rid of those religious traditions where you say, Lord, I, I don't want to live that way. I want to live by the Bible. 
And I can tell you this right now. Probably one of the greatest things that happened in my life was I didn't get saved until I was 20 years old. So when I got saved, I didn't have a bunch of religious traditions in me. If I would get around people and they would read the Bible and they would show me scriptures and they would say, do you see that how you need to get born? I'd say, born again? I'd say, yeah. I need to give my heart to Jesus, don't I? They'd say, yeah. And so they'd lead me to the sinner's prayer. And then they would show me, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said, what's that mean? I didn't know there was a holy who. And they'd show me that. And so it became very easy for me to receive the things of God because it was new, it was fresh. And so I do realize this with some of you. You've got to get unlearned to learn. But God will help you. He'll help you. And the bottom line is this. I want to be biblical. I want to live by the Word of God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.